Welcome to Why Not Both. This podcast is about the way that our multiple passions inform our identity. My name is Pam Schaefer, and I'm a musician, therapist, and tutor living in Los Angeles. Each week, I interview people about the ways that the multiple things they love inform who they are as people. You can learn more about this podcast as well as our guests on our website, which is wnbpodcast.com. You can also find us on social media, such as Instagram or Twitter, under the handle WNBThePodcast. Thank you so much for your support. It really helps us out when you like and subscribe to us on your preferred podcast platform. So not only do you get the latest episodes, but other people can see us as well. Thank you again, and I really hope you enjoyed this week's interview. Welcome to this week's episode of Why Not Both. I'm here with Tolly Carter. He is a game developer and a maker of things. Hi, Pam. Pleasure to be here. Pleasure to have you here. So the first question that I ask people on the podcast is, what do you do? And is there, in fact, a better question I could ask you? I tend to ask people that question a lot as a social opener, so I think it's a pretty good one. I do technical art. In video games, which kind of is a bridging of artists and programmers, because I really like art and computers, and bridging things together is very fun. And recently, I've been doing jewelry work as my second thing. Some jewelry and some crafts, depending on context. Gotcha. Did you make, the listeners can't see, but you're wearing a really interesting necklace right now, and I was curious if you made that. Yes, this is a chainmail, kind of Byzantine weave, with jade squares intermingled with it. That was a way more accurate and vivid description than me being like, you're wearing a cool thing. <laughs> I, uh, I know that the listeners can't see the cool thing, so I'm trying to make sure that they can visualize it or hopefully go look up a thing and learn. Yeah, yeah, like Byzantine chainmail. Yeah, it's a particular type of weaving technique of like interlocked chainmail links. And it, I thought it was pretty cool when I discovered it. So I did it on a few different pieces. That kind of leads me, I guess, into the, the next question I was going to ask. Was like, I was like, how did you discover you were passionate about these things? And I'm really curious, actually, about the jewelry passion prior to the game passion. Because I'm like, wow, that's really, that's very specific. Uh, it is. I, I get random requests. Or I get occasional requests from people who've met me over the years. who are like, hey, can you make a thing? Mm-hmm. And about... Three, maybe four years ago, someone reached out to me and said, hey, I want a ring for my girlfriend so we can get engaged, and I want it based off this character in a video game that you worked on, and I want this very particular sort of aesthetic that is a fantasy aesthetic, and I went and talked to real jewelers (laughs) and real uh, gem suppliers and said, hey, can I get gems in this shape? Can I get you guys to make this thing and they're like nope we wouldn't do it it'll just break what? i said oh it, it's fair it did break later um <laughs> <laughs> but that started me down looking into the technologies around resin casting to make a false stone for the oh. setting and 3d printing to make a really fantastical ring and those two things paired together led me to look closer at how accessible that technology was for uh, kind of something to bridge to from my game development skills because a oh. lot of the 3D modeling 
techniques, transfer over to 3D printing. And mm, I took a bit of uh, sculpture class during college, and so applying that in other contexts was very fun. And it gave me a chance to explore some more of the artistic elements that I don't always get to explore during work. I do a fair amount of programming, and well, it fluctuates, but I, I at the time was doing programming. And having an opportunity to go home and do art mm. helps me balance those two sides of my head. I was going to say that's so interesting that it was an offshoot of something that you had designed within a game, and someone was like, hey, can you bring this, you know, into meat space? It, it was a pretty fun request. It, it took, um, it was not a profitable commission in terms of like hours, but it was mm -hmm. very profitable in terms of knowledge, and I had to go and learn a lot, which is something mm. I really relish. I was going to say, because like, it sounds like there's actually a fair bit of overlap, you said, in like, the 3D modeling aspect of it. Um, how, is, how is what you do like in the jewelry world different than what you're doing in the game development world? In, in game development, uh, I do a lot of tools programming and pipeline work, which if you're unfamiliar with development is... Uh, making it easier for other people to do their job. So someone will say, hey, I'm trying to make something. I'm trying to make a level. Mm -hmm. And I have 100 trees that I want to place on this mountain range, but it would take me a long time to place them all over the mountains by hand. I see. I could potentially make a tool that allows you to paint them on or iterate on top of them and just generally go directly to the creative part of the process rather than worrying about all the technical underpinnings. Oh, got it. Got it. You're like, you've painted a tree. How do you put a bunch of them on the mountain? <laughs> uh, or I might be the person who makes the paintbrush or uh, makes it so that multiple people can collaborate on setting up the mountain range. So I'm, I'm not it. necessarily making the final art myself, but I'm enabling mm -hmm. other people to do that. A lot of my work is being an aggressive enabler. <laughs> <laughs> Those are two words you don't usually hear together. Aggressive enabler. I mean, if you want to do a thing, we can do that. There isn't really a other step in there. It's just a right. lot of, okay, you want to do it? Let's figure out how. I also really like the calm demeanor with which you said aggressive enabler. Been at it for like a decade, so. <laughs> <laughs> how did you get into game development? Like, how did you discover a passion for that? It woven into a few different points. Uh, initially, I was actually thinking about going into fashion, so jewelry touches that a bit. Mm, got it. But in high school, we had a lecturer come in who pitched us on going to some trade school in another state. And I was like, okay, so someone makes video games? I'm a someone. I could make video games. <laughs> <laughs> so you aggressively enabled yourself. Uh, I had some support that uh, in the form of my father who helped kind of help me find schools and we went and looked at a few different ones. So I, I didn't just like magically teleport through the college process, um, but I had help and a space and time given so that I could actually focus in on my studies mm. for that period of time. Uh, it was harder than I directly remember right now because it's been, been a while, um, but I recall it took a lot of work to go from so I can make video games, question mark, to, so I work making video games. Um, but I met a lot of interesting people along the way who were, like, 
half anime rival and really good friend to help make <laughs> things happen. I like anyone that can be described as, you know, at least 25% anime rival. I only had one arch nemesis and we're friends. <laughs> I cannot imagine you having an arch nemesis. That's fascinating. It was a it was a interesting person to run across to but I think that's a topic for another time. Yeah, I was like, that's fascinating because that, that kind of, I guess like my definition of you in my head is like I had said, like how you very calmly said aggressive enabler. And I was just like, huh, you had an arch nemesis. And I was like, I wonder how, how the things that you've been interested in define who you are. Like has your self-definition changed over time in regards to like going from, oh, I can be a person to make games to now I'm a person who makes games and... Now I'm a person who, like, is casting these cool rings, and, like, how has that shifted over time? When I started out kind of leaving college and getting a job, my entire person was focused through, so I make video games, and that is life, and that is mm. love, and that is everything. And after I left my first job, I sort of looked around and said, okay, so I spent the last few years deeply focused in on making this game the best mm. game that could possibly be. Mm -hmm. but my personal life languished a bit in the process. I had not grown as much as I wanted to as a person over the course of those few years. And paired with a few other life events, uh, I mean, if you're going to have one thing end, you should have everything end at the same time. So at the time I left my first oh, job, <laughs> I broke up with my partner. I moved to a new location with friends of mine. And uh, I was still inside Los Angeles as uh -huh. a whole, but it was like... Okay, major life change. Sit and think about what you're doing. I had enough saved to spend a little bit of time kind of doing evaluation and mm, not yeah, being yeah, super yeah. pressured. But I had kind of had my purpose cut for a oh. moment. And so I had to say, okay, I have this cool set of skills to make video games. And I have this passion for tinkering with things. I think my brother said, oh, my Kindle's broken. And I hey, you just have it. And I was like, oh, cool. <laughs> free kindle so i ordered a new screen from china and i removed the old one and replaced it and was sitting there staring at it like wow i managed to make this work again i threw it in my jacket and it broke and i was like oh okay well like i got the experience of fixing it <laughs> <laughs> you had your brief moment of glory it, it was like 36 hours and it was gone oh no <laughs> but the experience of fixing it was the victory that I wanted, and oh, I didn't yes. actually care about the object afterwards. Well, then you had the tangible experience of having the agency, oh, I can do that. Yeah. Uh, and in the same period of time, I started looking for hobbies mm -hmm. to pick up, and I ran across uh, I ran across the, like, the fire spinning and flow arts community, and that mm -hmm. was a very centering activity. Mm -hmm. And I found a new job that was lower stress or lower like personal investment but mm -hmm. allowed me to kind of explore the skills that I'd kind of started reaching and so this pairing of like oh I found an activity I really love and I have a job that doesn't consume me whole yeah it lets me have a little bit of space to explore myself and yeah um, it sounds like that first job was like all consuming that if someone had asked you then how do you define yourself it would have been like I am a game developer on this game yes yeah, so like the end it was a kind of like uh, a branding experience of like this is being part of this team is who you are and learning to explore being myself without the team 
and without that project yeah really forced me to evaluate what do you want to do with your life right uh one of my one of my friends from that company said that if you live to 100 every project that you work on takes up years to percentage of your life so that project that i worked on was three percent of my life wow and so that really starkly put the choices i made into perspective of if i work on another project for multiple years i need to really pick things i want to do and there's Mm. a lot of cool things out there to do (laughs) yes (laughs) but if you're gonna mark off that energy bar it's like okay what should that be and how how do you feel like that ties into like not only the definition of identity but like commerce because we all do have to like in our society we all have to make money to survive and be a person yeah i um i made strong choices in college i looked around when i was in college at what everyone was really excited to do and where everyone piled up for their skill sets and i picked things to do that other people didn't want to do but were still interesting So in game development, there's a lot of people who say, I want to make the cool character and the awesome sword. And I want to make the, uh, the concept art that gets turned into that cool character. I want to make the maps. I want to make the things you can see or the things you play. Got it. And so by picking something that is a slightly rare skill set, I still get to do some cool things. Like I worked on making a bunch of gearing in a windmill and it's like all perfectly geared and ratioed. And I'm very proud of that. (laughs) But Picking a skill set that's a little bit rare in the industry mm-hmm. meant that as I accumulated more skills, I had less trouble finding positions. Oh, and got it. my skills started to become valued a little bit higher as that's I very accrued. canny. Yeah, I initially was very selfish in it, but I, I was like, "Oh, if I have all these skills together, I can do it for myself." But then I learned how to be more altruistic, and well, it's very pragmatic. Yeah. Because, I mean, in, in some ways, it's like, okay, so the benefit to yourself is that, one, you're getting skills that are going to apply to the job that you want. Two, you aren't going to be in a stiff competition because other people aren't as interested in those skills, but they're vital for the job. And then three, it sounds like now with your decision to work in like kind of a less intense game environment, you can get a lot of that creativity that you mentioned out in your making of things. So you don't have to necessarily get that out of your game development job. Yeah, I tend to try and balance the work that I pick up outside of my day job mm-hmm. with the work that I have inside it. So in my uh, in one of my previous jobs, I had a lot of work during the day that was programming. Mm-hmm. And so I took the opportunity to take a jewelry class over at UCLA to kind of go from... So metal's a thing, and it's kind of cool. How do you work with this? Also, I was planning on working on engagement rings as my fiance. Uh, <laughs> so I was like, gonna say, did that idea when you mentioned that? I was like, did that idea from a while ago, of, like years ago, of that person asking you for an engagement ring? Is that then when you were just like, ah, yes, engagement rings? It it was kind of a combination of, I looked at the price of a class, and mm-hmm. I looked at the price of an engagement ring, and I was like, I should just learn learn how to do this that's awesome (laughs) (laughs) uh yeah i i mean there's some trade-offs to doing this like i don't know what the coolest latest hottest music is or tv show or netflix thing 
I'm like barely caught up on any of that stuff. Uh, most of my time is turned towards making a thing and practicing those skills. Mm-hmm. But I like to think of it as uh, every time I get obsessed over something, I just kind of lean in mm-hmm. and see what kind of cool stuff is over there. And then I can kind of lean back and be like, nice. Now I know about silversmithing and I know about fish leather and mm-hmm. I know about cheese wheels and like it's just anything that catches my attention for a minute I'm like okay cool dig as deep into that as I can for a that moment. was one of those one of those things is not like the other moments which which one of these three things is not like the other? <laughs> I was like metalwork leather work cheese <laughs> I mean I cooked my feelings for like three years so that was great <laughs> That is amazing. Because, yeah, like, that kind of dovetails with, I was like, okay, so that explains how, like, commerce kind of worked into, like, one of your career paths. And also, it sounds like you really defined, like, what time means to you. And in a way, I'm curious, what does, like, effort mean to you? Like, what does it mean to really go full force into one of those things? Like, full force into a cheese wheel? I haven't yet gone full force into a cheese wheel. I just started obsessing about it yesterday. So <laughs> I can tell you what going full force into fish leather looks like. Yeah, what does that look like? Uh, about... Two weeks ago, let's say, for story's sake, I was thinking about making a costume for something in the summer. And I sketched out something and I was like, oh, look, this is pretty cool. I need to pick up some ribbon for the trim. It'll probably have like a little pattern on it. Okay, well, like, can I get custom printed patterns? Uh, I can, but I have to order 100 yards. That's more than I want. That's a lot. Okay, can I find something I like that already exists? I found it, but there's only one person who has it online, and I guess that means I should probably order all of it. I sent it over to my fiance, and I was like, hey, check this out. She's like, oh, this is awesome. Check this out. And so we went back and forth a few rounds, and eventually she sent me some, like, tilapeta leather. Oh. And I was like, that's fantastic. How deep does this rabbit hole go? <laughs> and... I started looking through like not a not a Wikipedia but like a wiki esque article on fish mm-hmm. leather, mm-hmm. and I was like, okay, there's salmon. You can get pretty much any sort of fish that's farmed for food, yeah, as leather. But I kept going, and I was just like, okay, get stingray. That's pretty cool and unique. I haven't seen that before. Wow. And somewhere deep in the article, there was a a type of fish called an ari prima or a irar. Ruku, I'm butchering that horribly. It's a Brazilian Amazonian fish that grows to uh, five to eight feet or something in that range. I don't know exactly. That's at least a me of fish. <laughs> a whole lot. And one of the technical artists I work with right now is from Brazil. So I turned to him and I'm like, hey, have you heard of this fish? He's like, oh yeah, we went out and I've tried to, I've caught it before. It's quite a fighter. <laughs> and I was like, okay, well... It's real then, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like that you wanted to just confirm its existence. <laughs> I, I don't believe everything I read on the internet, so I try to like Valid. trust, but you know, verify. Valid. <laughs> <laughs> so I dug in a little bit deeper and I found out there's fashion designers in Brazil and in Europe that are starting to use this for clothing. Oh. And it has scale patterns on it that are like three quarters of an inch per scale. Ooh. And you can get a whole hide off the internet so i have ordered samples of that leather and they're just they're on the way right now so i'm like still in the hype mode for this (laughs) (laughs) 
Hype for the fish leather. But that was one of those things that if I had kind of gone, oh, I can just get trim at my local fabric store. Yeah. And just check that off my list instead of digging in a little bit deeper into the, like, this could be more oh. question. Uh, I think that's how I juggle most of my passions is I just go, well, I can, I really like working on this thing and I want this thing to be the most. Yes. Yes. And it, it sounds like there's two things that I was like thinking of when you were saying that. I was like, one, it does sound like a lot of your decisions have actually been informed by the interest in fashion that you mentioned. Um, Some of them. I, I think speaking specifically towards jewelry and costume design, a lot of it comes from, I think, uh, aesthetics are pretty cool. And so mm -hmm. I will go and dig to find whatever I think is the coolest thing to make that happen. Right. Um, inside of, it, it's less fun to tell people, okay, so I, I really think programming is really cool. So I went and bought a book called The Architecture of Open Source Programs so I could sit down and read about how these programs were put together oh. and find out from the people who authored it, like, what were you thinking when you made this piece of software? Yeah. Because if I understand a little bit about what they're thinking, then I can maybe make something that's like a portion is cool and I can amalgamate something that comes together. It's less communicable. Everyone sees clothes. Right. Very few people see code. Yeah. And like, it's interesting that you chose something in gaming that almost is like kind of behind the scenes, mm -hmm. um, but is process oriented. And then the way you're describing your projects and the things you're interested in are very forward-facing, but also are very process-oriented. Like, it sounds like you actually really like the process of all of this stuff. I mean, I really like process. I have I'm spent a few years researching process because <laughs> I really like process. <laughs> so I had a friend who I just sit there and chat with about what process is the best for organizing your thoughts, making your projects come together and getting yeah. all that in order. And I don't know if I have all the best answers, but I have good enough answers to keep myself somewhat organized. So I keep doing a thing. So you keep doing the stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it sounds like, it sounds like there was a definitive almost like break at the end of that job that you mentioned where you like left the job, broke up with your partner, moved. Like, was that a big shift in your thinking? Do you feel or? I definitely think so. I switched from heavily idolizing the opportunity to work on a games project. Ooh. Uh, <laughs> mystical hands. Mystical hands. It was definitely something that when I was in college, I thought about getting a job, doing a cool thing mm -hmm. as the end goal mm -hmm. and after working at it for a few years and going so i think this is kind of the limit i'm not sure and i talked to a few of my coworkers and had a mentor who i touched base with and i was like i think is this is this like the maximum thing and they're like mm -hmm. oh yeah i really enjoy this process in this section and i was like i think life is a little bit bigger than what i'm seeing here oh. and i want to go and explore that a little bit i i have a i mean like i have a moderately large family so i've seen my siblings do other things with life and mm -hmm. so i realized that i should also go and explore I more of what's in life but i didn't well okay this is a half truth i didn't want to give up my job <laughs> to do it 
And the, ha the other half of that truth is I spent a few years doing indie development work while doing freelance. Oh. So that's the, like, I thought I could do all of what I wanted in both halves, but I didn't. I've been working on rebalancing it so that I'm not giving up the stability of my day job in order to pursue right. the secondary interests. It sounds like, because, yeah, it sounds like before you almost had, like, a, a one-track narrative, which I'm curious, like, because I've been asking a lot of guests, like, where do you think that comes from that we, we tend to have that narrative of, like, this is the thing you do, and but then you arrive at the thing and you're like, is that it? I'm not sure where it comes from, but I, I know that a lot of times it's difficult to feel like we have enough time to do more than one thing. Mm-hmm there's a very easy rhythm to get into of I have my main activity, my day job, or whatever thing that fills up the majority of my day, let's say 8 to 10 hours, assuming things pretend to be time boxed. And when I go home, I go to leisure activities, which aren't really in the same tier as my... Uh, main activity so you you say i have my work and i have my play and my yeah. play is just for leisure it doesn't necessarily go anywhere i started realizing and i have a fun indicator for this one started realizing uh, while i was unemployed between first job and second job mm -hmm. that i'd spent 700 to a thousand hours playing a video game wow and when i considered that against the ten thousand hours rule which isn't exactly a real rule mm -hmm. but as a notion I realized that I had squandered an opportunity to spend a thousand hours learning a skill or spend oh. a thousand hours working towards something that would raise me up. Um, I was uh, I was better at the video game, right. but all those skills were non-transferable. Oh, I was actually going to ask that. It's like, do you think that there are transferable skills from that or were you like, oh, it's just kind of working at the level that I was at? I definitely have a better understanding of that particular type of game and how communities work around that game and, and enough analysis of like the art style and some of the economy elements that I can talk to it eloquently. But most of the time, professionally, I'm not as good as people who specialize into those areas. I see. And having an understanding is nice, but I can't recreate those systems, so I, I don't have value I can derive from them, so I... I never quite found the use for that information. Well, and it sounds like you really value things that are either a process you haven't seen before where you can learn a new skill. Like, your demeanor was totally different talking about that game versus talking about the silversmithing class. Yeah. And so, <laughs> I mean, I'm like, those seem like very different value objects for you. I definitely have a different set of emotional memories bound into each of those experiences. Yeah. The, I mean, the game experience is stuff that I really love, but it is also stuff that has a lot of pain associated with it. The silversmithing mm. has a lot more pure joy and play associated there. So it's a place and an activity I can go to when I just want to play. And mm -hmm. it also doesn't have a lot of financial incentive embedded. I've I done see. a few commissions, but it's mostly just like, eh, I will make something for a friend or do some repairs. Nothing crazy. 
the game development has switched from being something where I'm like, this is light and fun. Yeah. To like, I understand the process well enough. Yeah. And the routine is pretty even keel, so this is work now. I still enjoy playing my games, but I recognize that I have a very different relationship with it after a number of years than new activity. Right. Like honeymoon phase also. I was going to say, there's that. And also, you said something interesting about play that, like, you're like, oh, well, it didn't have, like, an objective. It didn't have, like, value to it. And I'm curious, like, what do you think the value is of play that doesn't have an objective versus play that kind of does have an objective? I think that play without an objective is a really good space to explore and to relax. I think play with an objective even if the players themselves are not necessarily directly aware of the objective of play, can lead to growth. Mm -hmm. And play without an objective can lead to undirected growth. One of the things I try to keep in mind is to act with intention. So undirected play is really leads to a lot of interesting stuff, mm -hmm. but it doesn't necessarily lead to where someone might want to go or where they as a, as an individual be directing themselves to go through life so mm. it um there's a there's a cycle that comes up in a few different things uh that is kind of a growth cycle and it comes up in two places that i like calling out it comes up in uh data-driven development or no it's a uh, test-driven development there we go mm-hmm me on this one later <laughs> uh, and it comes out in weightlifting which is the same thing in both programming and in exercise is mm -hmm. that you you set up a scenario that stresses a system in okay. test-driven development you set up a test that fails in weightlifting you set up a, a scenario where you put more weight you put enough weight on that it stresses the muscles so that they tear slightly just like a test doesn't destroy a whole program then you go through and you fix it up so that you can overcome that. You adapt to the situation. Yep. And then you iterate over that, continually adding small features and tests to train a system. And it's kind of this, like, you try something, you fail, you adapt to the failure, you try something else. And if you can keep that cycle growing, you can overcome a lot larger challenges over right. time. Right. But it requires these small incremental changes in a direction. Um, if you start weightlifting, you don't walk into the gym, pick up five pounds, pick up 50 pounds, pick up 500 pounds. Like, never, this doesn't happen that way. Goodbye, get smushed. Yeah, you won't even be able to move the 500. Um, and in test-driven development, you don't say, okay, I can connect to a website. I can download a file. Okay, I have a Maps app. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's, there's some gaps there. <laughs> so do you think kind of like, Playing in that environment is what leads to growth, or I I think, uh, I think that failure is a result of play that pushes our limits, mm. and if we learn from our failures in a direction, we can grow in a direction we want. If we just learn from our failures in any direction, we're kind of like a, a growing puddle. We don't get very far in any one direction. <laughs> right, we just expand like an amoeba. Yeah. Yeah. Just, um, eat nearby things. Exactly. And it sounds like also like you learned part of that by branching out into different fields. Like it 
it sounds like in a way if you had stayed just in game development you might not have like you know gotten the experiences of the flow art and then tapping back into the fashion stuff and going into jewelry and then seeing that you can affect things in physical space with the same kind of processes and it's like it sounds like you were able to steer your ship instead of like you said just sort of amoeba like oh i've learned this random thing I uh, definitely had moments where I learned things and then stitched them back together later. Mm, I, got it. I think one of the phrases, like ideas I ran across is that knowledge is a tree and all of the different disciplines are branches. And there's another paired idea that when you see experts, they're like two people on very tall mountains of knowledge that are yelling at each other. And there's a big valley <laughs> of intermediary topics that they have to bridge in order to be able to talk to each other at an even level. So a lot of times when you have two experts talking, they can only talk at their lowest common denominator of knowledge. They can't actually talk at the depth of their expertise or the height of their expertise in this analogy. Mm -hmm. So figuring out how to build those bridges between expertises, where oh. I'd be like, that is the key that I started trying to dig towards. I can't say I've figured it out perfectly, but I've gotten like a little bit of insight into bridging between like okay there's a deep discipline over here i'm gonna build a little molehill and then yeah jump over to it uh, i definitely have more skill acquired in game development but finding out how to see the path up to other disciplines just a little bit uh, is something that has helped me build up gentle incline of understanding in different directions and do you find that it's fulfilling to do things outside of game design like do you think that you know after that break like do you think oh, I've actually learned a lot more from delving into these different disciplines? Or do you, like, would you recommend someone else do that, basically? As uh, one of the rules in visual art is that you're only as good as your reference. Mm -hmm. As a game developer, we spend a lot of time looking at fantastical spaces that are fabricated. Uh, and if you only learn from fabricated, like, human-created content and don't look at experiences beyond what other people are trying to tell you about and don't live those experiences yourself directly in real life you start to miss the finer details that really make an experience a unique interesting thing mm. for example in fire spinning it's really really cool to like show people spinning fire but when you actually go and spin fire the coolest part is not having fire near you it's just like deep whooshing sound as the mm -hmm. fire goes past you mm -hmm. but it doesn't exist on videos that people show you of right. fire spinning right and you mentioned it's interesting that you said that about like the experiential portion because when you mentioned that someone had commissioned you to make a ring that you'd created in a virtual space that then in real space didn't quite hold together with the materials that you wanted um i was just like huh that's so interesting of like the concept of making something real and you had also called the jewelers that you contacted real like they were real jewelers and i'm like do you consider yourself a real jeweler i i don't consider myself to be a professional grade jeweler because i don't produce jewelry at a like industrial scale okay i, I live in like a weird boutique do you want a weird thing hit me up <laughs> uh, <laughs> So uh, how does, yeah, I was like, how does that define it as real? So like real for you is like that you could industrially like produce more or. I'm professionally, I'm used to making content that will reach millions of people. Mm -hmm. 
most of the projects I've worked on have gone out to tens of millions of people. So my mental scale for making things that influence the world mm -hmm. at a large scale is it has to reach a lot of people. And I recognize that every piece of jewelry is very directly, directly impactful. Mm -hmm. There was a, a ring that I made in December 2018 that was kind of shark themed. And I sent it off to someone and they messaged me back like, oh my gosh, this is very cool. I'm going to have to redo my whole shark-related outfit for this particular <laughs> ring. And I was like, I feel like I've touched a very small portion of the world by doing this. I'm still not sure. I, I, I don't know what makes things real yet. I'm still working that out. I've lived in fantasy spaces and virtual spaces for a long time. And those have definitely had real impacts on individuals. Yeah. And so it's hard to say where the line is. Of like, where does the magic circle end? Yeah, because I'm like, you know, even if it's on, like, one is almost like a scale that it's hard to conceptualize tens of millions of people. Whereas on the other hand, that's so interesting that you talked about, like, that one personal connection of, like, oh, my God, a shark ring. Now I have to redo my whole shark outfit. I'm like, you clearly impacted that person. That person's designing a shark outfit. And <laughs> it's, it's actually been one of the most interesting portions of making things at a smaller scale and having my professional creation and influence and my personal influence be at such different orders of magnitude. Yeah. It, it's kind of the, you have to remember that there are real people on the other side of a Facebook like, and it's not just like, <laughs> I want another heart emoji. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Give me more hearts, Facebook. Give me more stamps of validation. When you think, hey, 20 people like my status and you imagine sitting down to brunch with 20 people and each one of them gives you a thumbs up or a high five for doing something cool. There's a much larger impact mentally for that achievement. Yeah. So a lot of my hobby work is trying to remember and connect more directly with individuals. Oh yeah. Cause I'd imagine like, for instance, if you had at brunch, like a receiving line of people high fiving you for your jewelry work, It'd be like a really personal and interesting experience, whereas if you had the same receiving line for people that had played your video games, you'd never leave brunch? Pretty much. I was stuck <laughs> in the Los Angeles hell of being eternally trapped in brunch. <laughs> there is no life. There is only brunch. <laughs> one, one of the games I worked on, the one I worked on uh, early in my career, we had an event that rented out an arena, and brought a bunch of players together and I went to it a couple different years once as a developer and once after I left the team mm -hmm. and when I went as a developer uh, I had a lot of internal arrogance about like oh all these people are here because I made something cool not recognizing the contributions of everyone else on the team to bring it together I see when I went as an individual I didn't have the same value for the content as the fans but I got to really I like sat as a developer I sat like in the I don't know like the third tier of seats and then as a individual coming back later I sat like way up in the nosebleeds but people were so excited about the content and seeing their individual reactions to it made it a much more real experience because um. suddenly people cared so much you could see how much they really were invested in it where if you sit kind of like in an isolated spot and you're like okay I just have to you know 
I'm here and I'm a professional and I'm having an okay time, but I'm really just here because it's a professional thing. <laughs> <laughs> you have that distance, you have that remove. And it sounds like in a way you were also talking about like the difference of kind of working on a team and kind of being part of a team and helping people uh, almost like facilitate their work mm -hmm. versus then your work making things where it's like, is that more solitary or is that? It's generally been solitary. I've had a few collaborative projects and well, not as, not as many. Uh, most of it has just been like, hey, I'm going to go do a thing and no one can stop me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who's going to stop you from ordering fish leather. And no one. Everyone's been super supportive, and I feel like someone should stop me. <laughs> <laughs> I should be like, totally, no, you're out of control. I don't know. I mean, I found a supplier in Iceland, and I found one in New York, so, like, I just, I guess I can call people now if I want fish leather. Like, that's not something I could say a month ago. You know, having been in Iceland, there's a surprising amount of fisheries just, you know, around. Mm-hmm. And so I think that they probably would really like to offload some of their fish leather. They, they supply a great deal of it in any color you want, up to 200 colors. That seems accurate. Yeah, like, I'm thinking about it, I'm like, huh. I don't know how you could recommend people get into fish leather, but I'm like, how would you recommend if someone was like, wow, I want to go into game design. I want to be a game developer. How do I do that? Like, what would you say to, like, Mini you to be like, oh, this is how you do that. Well, do it. Uh, it it's it's uh, it's trademarked, but you should do it. <laughs> uh, the the thing that's really important to recognize is that you don't have to make a game that reaches millions of people to be making a game. You can make a game that reaches your five friends. You could mm -hmm. make a game that goes to your siblings, your parents, your class. And you can put it out there or not. You can just keep it private. When I was in high school, there were people who were making games on their calculators, and they were still making games and practicing the skills of, is this a fun experience? Can I use the hardware well? And can I give it to other people? Right. So right now, the succinct thing is download Unity or Unreal. They have great tutorials. Dedicate two hours a week to studying those tutorials and yeah i can find two hours like i watch game of thrones for like two hours or i watch eurovision for four hours i don't know where my time goes sometimes but i i'm wholeheartedly into dedicating it to eurovision eurovision's magical it was fantastic and um an entertaining experience all the way through <laughs> Uh, yeah. so, so it sounds like taking it upon yourself to like actually start doing the thing even on a small scale like mm -hmm. and that in fact it sounds like it's better to start at a small scale um, so that way you can feel efficacious instead of being like oh I have to make a game for millions of people right now no, no I have never wanted to make a game for millions of people it just started happening um, it's more like when I was in high school me and my best friend made some really bad jokes in our physics class and I we like figured out a three panel comic version of it it was basically a guy goes to court uh -huh. and he, the judge is like well you've got a speeding ticket here and the guy's like well you see your honor because I was going so fast the red light had blue shifted all the way to green and our physics teacher put it up on the door and we're like there's an audience for this <laughs> He learned how to code websites just enough, and I learned how to draw comics just enough, and we 
went and talked to people who knew Photoshop and I was like, I don't know what a Photoshop is. Can you teach me? And the one person in school, or maybe there were more, but the one guy who we knew knew Photoshop was like, yeah, here's how you do it. Here's how you make marks. And I was like, here's how you save a document. I was like, cool. I didn't know any of that before today. Amazing. And then we went and made a hundred comics. And for every comic, I tried to learn a little bit more about the tools I had. So I eventually managed to convince my parents that I should get a copy, like an educational copy of Illustrator. And I learned with that for a bit. Uh, and later down the line, I got like a copy of Flash and like tried doing really bad animation. <laughs> um, and I got into open source software like Blender and Krita. It wasn't out then, but imagine that the times were different. I'm trying to name drop so you can find them. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say at the end of the podcast, um, I will tell you my website address. And I will link the websites of your choosing, Jolie. That sounds great. I'll be happy to provide <laughs> a resources link uh, for anyone who wants it. And uh, then you can go and start making games without having to pay thousands of dollars for software and an education like I did. Hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> You're just like, learn from me, my children. I, more people working in the field that I work in is always great because it means that there are more people who are excited about doing the thing enough to go and do it. Exactly. That was, that was actually the last thing I was going to ask you was like, you seem like you have this like innate drive within you to be like, I want to go figure out the stuff. How do you recommend if someone doesn't have that, if someone just feels like they're like, well, I know that there's stuff I want to figure out, but like, what is it? How do you know when something's something you should go down a wormhole about? How would you direct someone to have that intrinsic aha moment? Like, what does it feel like when you have that? I, I think it's let yourself be silently drawn by the things that attract you. So if, if you sit down and you drink a glass of tea and you're like, I really like tea and this was really nice. I'm going to go and find out what type of tea this was so I can have it again. And then cool, you have that glass of tea again. You're like, this was nice. Maybe there's other teas I like out there. I I think there's a little bit of uh, building up an inquisitive nature about the world and being willing to ask what what other things are out there and, and try to uh, look beyond what you have in front of you because mm. we all get kind of boxed in by the things in our lives is like this is the routine everything works or doesn't but everything is functional enough that it keeps rolling forward i was gonna say it has homeostasis at the very least hopefully <laughs> <laughs> and uh if everything works there's not really any reason to go exploring so taking the initiative to explore when everything is working requires that you are willing to overcome that static state in inertia you have to Got be it. able to push yourself just a little bit to like uh jump on the net and search like i this tea is sort of dark colored okay dark colored, colored teas. tea <laughs> <laughs> you just search for it online and then someone out there has probably done most of the research into dark teas or black teas or green teas whatever and you you like read a little bit and you're like okay this person writes poorly but like they found one cool thing um i'll give myself when I first started working, I gave myself a small budget of like $10 a month to buy a t-shirt. Oh. I found a site that had cool t-shirt designs, and I was like, I'm going to find cool t-shirts. Oh. I'm not 
wearing one right now, but I But it matches the jade really well, what oh, you're wearing right now. Thank you. It doesn't quench at all. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you done good. So it sounds like giving yourself giving yourself space to be curious about things because yeah. I feel like we, we kinda don't give ourselves a ton of space or give ourselves permission to have space for that. I I think it's something that as a child I was allowed to continue to ask questions about all sorts of things that my parents probably in their own sanity probably should have stopped me from continuing to ask questions <laughs> on but instead of, they encouraged me to just go and figure it out or yeah. you know like whatever like go read books you'll be quiet <laughs> yeah yeah go to the library uh but it, it's a lot of just like there's a lot of stuff in the world that I don't know and I will never know and I will never find out about even if I research forever right and I'm going to go and find as much as I can. Yeah. And I'm going to keep turning over rocks and like splashing in puddles and trying to figure out what's around the bend just because there's more cool stuff out there. And other people found most of it. But if I can find like a little bit more or mix some things together differently, yeah. it'll be neat. I think that's fabulous. Well, Tully, thank you so much for joining me. It's I really appreciated you. Just on all levels. <laughs> it's been a pleasure, Ben. <laughs> Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us for this week's episode of Why Not Both. If you would like to learn more about our guests, such as the one I interviewed today and all of the other people from this past season, you can head over to our website, which is wnbpodcast.com. Please make sure to like and subscribe to us on your preferred podcast platform so you don't miss any interviews. And if you fancy, leave us a review. Thank you again, and I look forward to chatting with you next week.